0: Amen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to those of you who are online. If you're watching this not during the Christmas season, we're doing a Christmas series starting today. And the Christmas series is simply called The Prophet, Priest, and King. And basically what we're talking about is how Jesus is the ultimate prophet. He was the ultimate priest and is the ultimate king. And the foretelling of him coming, which is the Christmas story, leads us to a place that we can have hope and assurance in the way we live our lives. So the Christmas story continues to give us hope today. And we start with the idea of prophet and how Jesus is the ultimate prophet. So let's define prophet right from the start. Prophet comes from a root word meaning to bubble forth. as from a mountain, hence to utter. It's allowing God to speak through you into the world around you, to utter, to speak. So a prophet is anyone, according to Bible studies tools, proclaimed the message of God giving to him as the seer beheld the vision of God. Anyone being a spokesman for God to man might thus be called a prophet. So let me unpack that for you. This is a little bit fearful for me to say, but it's true. What I'm attempting to do here today is be a prophet. I'm attempting to speak the words of God. Now, a lot of times when we think of the word prophet, we think, you're telling me about my future. That's not what I'm trying to do, although I am pointing you to the future we have in Christ. A prophet tells about the future when the words of God say, speak about the future. You see what I'm saying? But it's not a future fortune teller. And so when I come up here, I'm attempting to preach. I'm attempting to speak God's words into your life. The problem is, I'm a man, right? And I could fail at that. So what I'm attempting to do right now is is do that. But if you were to encounter me at Panera, first of all, you should be shocked that I would walk into Panera, okay? Unless it's morning, they have great bagels. But if you ran into me at Panera and you said, "Hey, Daniel, what's your thoughts on this? What's your thoughts on that?" Once again, that's not necessarily me prophesying. That's just me being Daniel. But through the work and the research and the prayers, I'm attempting to be in the presence of God. Or when Drew's up here, he's attempting to be in the presence of God and speak the words of the Lord to you. Now, the hardest part of that is, I'm going to fail at times. And I hate that. I wish I could always do this perfectly. And I can tell you, I'm always going to try. But there are people who have claimed to be prophets who are just wrong. There have been people who claim to to speak about God's words and are just wrong. And it's the the reality that sin has entered the world. So, all of the prophecies in the Old Testament, which is God speaking about what would happen in the coming of Jesus in the future, point us to the fact that there would be and is an ultimate prophet in the form of Jesus Christ, who will not fail you. Who will not speak wrong. And when he spoke It was the words of God because he was God. So how do we know Jesus was the ultimate prophet? And if you're the people of that day and age, how would you know that Jesus was the ultimate prophet right then and there? Well... That takes a little history. So we're going to actually start by reading verses that we often skip over in Matthew chapter 1. If you're reading the New Testament for the year next year, you might want to be tempted to to just breeze through these. And as I was reading this, it's Matthew 1, 2 through 16. There's several ways I could have read these this morning. First of all, I could just try to read it. But it's long, and there's hard words there. (laughs) The second option was I could quote Andrew Peterson's song and have him sing it to you and I thought about that for a moment so if you ever want a great Christmas album listen to Behold the Lamb of God by Andrew Peterson it tells the story of the coming of Christ from the birth into the modern day world in a Christmas way and he has a song called The Begat Song and he goes through these verses That would be great, but, you know, that would have been too, I don't know, I just didn't want to do it. So instead, we're going to go with option three, which I'm just going to have them kind of scroll through these names. And I want you to kind of pay attention to something. It starts with Abraham. And you see, this is the start of the lineage of Jesus. And so you see some names there. You see Jacob and Isaac and all those that are going, let's just keep scrolling through those slides now. And the next slide talks about uh, Nashon and Boaz and Rahab. Rahab's an important name. We're going to come back to that in a minute. And Jesse and David. Because some of the prophecies would talk about Jesus coming from the lineage of David. This was super important for the people of Israel to know that Jesus was who he says he was, because he was proven from the lineage of there. And then you see Solomon and Asa and Jehoshaphat. No one ever names their kid Jehoshaphat. Why not? probably shouldn't. It's not necessarily a good person. Uzziah and Hezekiah, and you keep going on through the time of Babylon, okay? So we're in a time of exile now. And then you keep going through there, and you see a bunch of names that are really hard to read, and so we're going to go real quickly off that slide to the next one. (laughs) And then see Eleazar and Jacob and Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, All of this points to the ultimate prophet who was coming. It was a verification that Jesus is who he says he was. And we see that through, there's five reasons why the genealogy matters according to Patrick Schreiner. The first one is it tells us the whole story of the Bible. It tells us all the way from Abraham. Abraham is found in the beginning. Not the beginning, beginning, but in Genesis, right? Right? And so, and it traces the lineage through there and it tells the Old Testament story which points to Jesus and then Jesus into the New Testament. So you have the Old Testament, the time before Jesus and then you have the New Testament into modern day which is the time after Jesus came and in the middle of that is the centrality of Christ. Christ should not only be the center of our life, He is the center of history. And when He came, it changed everything. The gift that we were experiencing on that Christmas morning was that life changed Forever. And it tells the story. The second thing, it reminds us that it's a true story. How do we know this? You can trace the names. It doesn't matter if you're Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're atheist. It doesn't matter if you're Christian. All of those groups recognize that this is actually the lineage of a man named Jesus. Do you understand that? And you could trace that back over and over again. And, and so this was the originally Ancestry.com, Right? The Bible it, it shows you the lineage of that, and it says this is where we came from, and that's really important because it, it unfolded the, the, how Jesus is, who he says he was. Third, it highlights the inclusivity of God's plan. That's a hard word to say, but it's fun, inclusivity. Um, and this is the idea that in those names you read, you read the story of Ruth, a woman, was included. So Jesus didn't just come for the men. Amen, right? And you see the story uh, of Rahab a prostitute, neither of which were Israelites, who were folded in. You see a bunch of degenerate men. You see a bunch of good men listed in that genealogy. You see a bunch of names that are hard to pronounce because no one knows who they are because they don't remember the stories of them, okay? And so through all of this you have the the big name people. You have the no name people. You have men. You have women. You have the, the degenerates. You have the holy people. You have the Israelites. You have the Gentiles because it unfolds the story that Jesus came for us all. And that should be free. The fourth thing the genealogy shows us is it shows us that God has always been faithful, that this was not some accident because all of the prophecies are pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. This was not a plan B. Oops, the people sinned. Shocker. No, this was the unfolding of our story of how Jesus would come to save us all. And finally, it shows us that Jesus is our hope. And that's important. We're not technically doing an Advent series this year. We are going to do one next year. But if you were doing Advent right now, this last week would have been on hope. And this shows us that God's faithfulness motivates hope for our future because, remember, God is consistent and trustworthy. In other words, we have hope in the birth of Jesus because the fact that He came shows us that God is still here And real. So, Matthew 1 1, the beginning of all this, is the unfolding of the lineage. And it says this an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it's a reminder that the prophecies all point us to the ultimate prophet. Do you realize that in the Old Testament there were over 100 prophecies made about the coming Christ? Picture it like this. Christmas, we have a big tree, right? And we have all these presents. Each one of those prophecies represents a present. God is unfolding, God is opening. And oh, yes this proves that he's real. Oh yes, this proves he's real. And you just keep going because there's like a hundred presents there, all unfolding the story of how God is who he says he was. And so those presents included the fact that he would be from the house of Jesse. Those presents included that he would be from the house of David. One of the prophecies told that he would have to go to Egypt for a while and that he would be eventually crucified and that Mary would be sad. And all of those prophets, and that he was born of a virgin. And we see all of these unfolding, all of these examples pointing to the prophet. So Isaiah 7, 14, here's one example. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Hundreds of years. Kids, you think Christmas Day feels like a long time away because it's like 18 days away, right? It's. I know, that's like a fifth of your life, right? It feels like forever, Christmas Day will come, but imagine having to wait hundreds of years to be able to open the greatest gift. This is what Israel was longing for, the anticipation of that first Christmas morning. And as Jesus came and this present became unwrapped and we, we got in his presence, we got to see how Jesus is the ultimate prophet and the prophecies were fulfilled through his life. How do we know that? Well, first, he claimed he was a prophet. We see in Luke four eighteen. When he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. In other words, I'm bubbling up the words of the Lord. Now, it's important to say he recognized that he was God's son and that he recognized he was God himself and that he was speaking on behalf of God. That he was the ultimate prophet. But it's also important to recognize other people saw that in him. Why? If you're a teacher but have no students, you're not really a teacher. Right? If you're a husband but don't have a wife, you're not really a husband. And so if you're a prophet, but you don't have people following and listening to the words, you're not really a prophet. So people recognize him as prophet. John 4, 19, you see the story of the woman at the well who says, Surely you are a prophet, a woman who was not of Israel. So you had outsiders who recognized that he was a prophet. Then you had uh, John 6, 14 and Matthew 21, You had people inside the church recognize that he was a prophet. So there was testimony of the fact that this was the prophet that was foretold. He also prophesied about the future. In Mark 14, 27-31, he talks about Peter's denial. Before the rooster crows tonight, you will betray me three times. Pretty specific, right? How would you know that? He was bubbling forth and uttering the words of God. He also predicted his betrayal, burial, and resurrection in Matthew 17, through 23 It says, I will have to die. And then he did. So his prophecies weren't always like, hey, you get cake and ice cream, I'm here. His prophecies were, I'm gonna have to be beaten and bruised, hung on a cross and crucified for you. So he wasn't just doing this for what he got out of it, he was doing it for you and for me, and he proved it by giving up his very life, which would ultimately lead us to the greatest present. The world is opened when the tomb itself became opened on Easter Sunday morning. And the gift of the presence of God became available to you and me. And right here, right now, this is where we understand the Christmas story. The ultimate story is that Jesus came for you and for me. And if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you can be saved and unwrap the greatest gift the world has ever known and have him live with you and dwell with you from now into eternity. Now, here's what we do a lot of times. We hear that story, and we go, And I'm glad I got Jesus for eternity. And hear me, that's super important. And one day, you and I will cease to breathe. You will no longer exist on this earth. And a lot of times people go, oh no, I'm afraid of death. What if we realized and saw death as the opening of the greatest Christmas present the world has ever known? What if you realize that when you no longer are breathing on earth, God is allowing you to live forever in the presence of God. And that His presence is the greatest presence you can have. And so that when we no longer are on this earth, yes, I look there and I go, oh, this feels a little scary at times. I do, I admit that. It can be a little scary. The thought of dying can be scary. But at the same time, it's anticipation of what is to come. We have hope in what is to come. We have joy in what is to come. The next life is a present. And not only a present, the greatest present you can ever have. Do you look at your life with that anticipation? But the danger is, too, sometimes we look at that life and we go, well, that's the next life, so this life's going to be, oh, how many more days till Christmas? And what if we realized that the Christmas season or the season of our life should be full of anticipation and joy? You know what's interesting? I love it when people put the Christmas lights up. There, there's a, a few of you who are curmudgeons, but most of you like Christmas lights. I get that. I won't, I won't call them out, but I can name a few. I won't. Um, and as you think about that, you know, you, you go around in the neighborhoods, and then there's, there's like the people who do it like, you know, like the over-the-top Christmas decorations, and there's people who do the classy decorations, and there's the, the minimalist, my wife made me throw this up, decorations, and then there's the... ah. I just didn't get around to it because it was too cold. Decorations, right? And then there's the I'm not doing it, right? But what happens is, as more and more people start doing it, there's always that first person, and everybody's like, "Great! Now I gotta step up my game, right?" But what if we saw the illumination of our lives like that? We started to turn the light on of our darkness, and we started saying, "Jesus is coming. Let's, let's let the season start now." see a little glimmer of hope through my life, and, and, and let's look to the hope of the future. Let's, let's anticipate not only the rest of this life, but let's realize this season itself is a gift, even though it feels hard. Jesus, at this time, was going and and living, and even though he knew it was going to be hard, and maybe sometimes you're sitting there going, I want to have a great Christmas season, but it feels hard, right? I want to have a, a great life, but this life feels hard. And yes, one day I will rejoice with God in heaven, but right here, right now, I'm struggling. Amen. Right? So, what can we learn from the ultimate prophet and the way he lived his life and the prophecies and apply it to our life right now? I want to do that by doing an unusual thing. This may not seem very Christmassy, but I want to go back and look at that story in Isaiah seven fourteen, where we just got, it. it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. That verse is a great string of Christmas lights, right? Christmas is coming. And we sit there and go, I'm going to put that on a coffee mug. I might put that on an ugly sweater. It won't make it so ugly. That is an awesome verse because God is coming, and we sit there and go, it's exciting to have hope because who hearing that verse would be sad? Who hearing that verse of the coming of Christ would sit there and go, well, that sounds awful. But if you understand the context of what is actually going on in this passage, it actually relates really well to what many of us are going through in our life. And I want us to look at today in shifting our mindset and warning the, seeing the danger signs of missing the way that we're supposed to live out the Christmas anticipation story on every day of our life. You see what's going on here, according to Michael Chan, is that there was a lot of work going on here, and there was this two kingdoms. Israel had had a civil war, and there was the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. We're going to call the Northern Kingdom the Big Brother, right? Who is a, a, a little bit of a prodigal. He had nine and a half tribes. I don't know how you get nine and a half tribes, but he did. The younger kingdom had two and a half tribes. And so the younger brother, we're going to call that Judah. Judah, we're going to call the younger brother. And, and Judah was sitting there going, Uh-oh. Older brother's coming home. And he's going to beat me up. And apparently the nine and a half parts of him weren't enough. So he's going to go recruit the neighborhood kids. And he's coming home for Christmas. Now you think your Christmas is bad? You you dread some of the the family dynamics? I doubt any of you are going to have your brother show up with arms trying to kill you, right? If you do, please talk to me afterwards. We're here to help you with that. (laughs) There are quite a few police officers in this church, and I promise you, we will help you with that. But this is what's going on here. They're like, we're going to kill you. And so this is the background of the story, and and. Judah at this time was going, but we're, we're following God. We're not prodigals. Why is this bad stuff happening to me? Does this relate to anybody? And so Isaiah speaks to the king at this time, the younger brother. And he gives them these words in Isaiah 7, 10 through 11. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, parenthetical notation, through Isaiah. Ask for a sign from the Lord your God, and it shall be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. In other words, I'm going to tell you, younger brother, that God is not going to forsake you. He's going to be with you, and you're looking out at the enemy, and you're sitting there going, whoa, they're big and strong, and I'm just a little brother. What am I going to do about that? God's got your back. You can trust this. I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty excited. And not only that, he says... Ask for a sign, and I'll prove it to you so that you can know that the words I'm saying aren't just of man, but of God. That sounds a little weird to us, but you got to understand, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, they didn't have the presence of the Holy Spirit, so God often used signs to show them that God was really with them. Whereas in the New Testament, the sign that we have is the Holy Spirit. Now, does God still work in signs sometimes today? Yes, But not near as often. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? So in the Old Testament, we see the signs. We see the signs of, I don't know, uh, Noah, right? And the flood and the rainbow. The rainbow promises us that God will not destroy the world like he did with Noah. A sign of hope. We see the blood blood over the blood post of the Passover. And when the angel of death went from house to house, destroying the people um, before they were released in the Exodus story. The blood was on the doorpost and it passed over and that blood was a sign, not only to save them, but it was a sign of what was to come through Jesus. You are still wearing one of the signs of the Old Testament called clothes. Because you see, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were ashamed of the skin they were in. So God sacrificed an animal and through that blood sacrifice clothed them in the actual skin of another animal so that they could be comfortable in the skin they're in, and that has morphed into the clothes we are wearing. This is a sign that God still loves us. Thank you for wearing the sign. <laughs> no, seriously, thank you for wearing the sign. And as you think about that, this is what he's offering. Isaiah saying, God's going to give you a sign. Who would like a rainbow in the sky? Right? I don't don't know. There's a bunch of signs you could be. But he sits there and goes, okay, so here's Ahaz to respond. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask and I will not test the Lord. You ever have somebody say something that they don't really mean? Right? How are you? Fine. She's not really fine. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not he's not really saying I will test. What is happening here is he already has a plan. And here's his plan. Big brother's threatening me. And he's got all the neighborhood kids surrounding me. So I'm going to go to the mafia in town and get them on my side. I'm going to go to this group called the Assyrians, who are the biggest, baddest bullies of the day. And I'm going to ask them to come join me because after all, I'm going to beat them. And that seems like a good logical idea. So I don't really need God to help me because I've already figured it out, but I know that that I can get the numbers on my side. I can logically get to where I want to go, and I don't need God. So in the middle of that, Isaiah says to him, listen, house of David, is it not for you to try the patience of men? Why do you also try the patience of God? You see, he wasn't trusting the Lord He was testing the Lord's patience. And so Ahaz ignores him. The younger brother ignores him, even though he'd been walking with God. And then he goes and gets helped from the mafia, the Assyrians. And he brings them in. And in the middle of that, Isaiah 7, 14, he says, but I'm going to give you a sign anyway. One day, despite your actions, despite that you don't care, the Lord is going to deliver you. And his name will be Emmanuel. I'm going to give you. This is the verse. This is the background. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and have son and give him a name of Emmanuel. Now there is comfort there, despite their faults, despite the fact that they were walking away, God said, I'm still gonna give you a sign. But because you didn't follow me, it's gonna get a little rough. So what happens? How does the story unfold? Well, it's exactly as he said. Isaiah 7, 15 through 17. By the time he learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, he will be eating curds and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. Before Jesus is born, the brother and the the gang down the street are not going to be the problem. Why? Why? Because the Lord will bring on you your people and your father's house such a time as you have never sinned since Ephraim separated from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. So the mafia that you're about to bring in, you brought it on yourself. Congratulations. You don't got to worry about those older brother. You don't got to worry about his friends because you just invited the mafia in your house. (laughs) Do you get it? So What are we supposed to learn from this? Because this does not sound like a very Merry Christmas story. (laughs) The story is this. All of the prophecies point to the ultimate prophet. And his words are true. And God has gifted us his words through the Bible. Through the proclamation of his word. Through things like me teaching. Through study of his word in small group sessions, through daily devotions, through knowing and interpreting them. And when the times in your life come to make decisions, you can either trust in God's promises or you can trust the culture. You can trust in God's promises or you can trust your feelings. You can trust in God's promises or you can go your way and ultimately you will meet your own demise because you are ignoring the words of the Lord. And this is the point I want to pause and go, this is the definition of the sermon where somebody's sitting there going, preach, preacher, all those people need to hear it. Amen. That political party, that group over there, that guy over here, that woman, oh, oh, I'm sending this to my uncle right now, you know? (laughs) Pump the brakes. And stop and ask yourself if this applies to you. Are you really giving everything to the word of the Lord? Now, it doesn't mean that your life's going to be filled with cake and ice cream. Jesus himself prophesied about his own death. But we know our hope and our eternity is secure because the ultimate Christmas day will come when we no longer are breathing on this earth. And the presence of his presence lasts forever. But in the meantime, we can trust and have hope And we can celebrate and even illuminate a little bit of the darkness by shining the light of what Jesus is doing in our life here and now and living the Christmas season 365 days a year even if it's without the ugly sweaters. How do we do that? The daily training. You trust in God's promises. Because the prophecies regarding the birth... Of Christ Jesus and the prophecy spoken by Christ himself assure us the future for those who trust in him so we trust in God's promises. That's the daily training. Trust his promises. Now you can't trust promises that you don't know. So you gotta be in his word. Right here from right now, it's uh, December something, right? I don't remember the date, but 5th. What if right here, right now, instead of waiting for January 1st to start a, a daily reading plan, you did it now. What if you committed to, to, to really making sure your family's doing devotions? What if you really committed to, to, to spend time learning the promises of God and then giving him to you, giving yourself over to him? This is when we get to celebrate Christmas because his promises came true and they will come true despite or with you depending on how you live. Let's live with him. I love you guys. Merry Christmas. Christmas. That was weak. (laughs) Merry Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, I thank you for how you are moving in our lives, in our hearts, and our minds. God, even now this morning, we pray that We would trust in your promises. Somebody in this room is really struggling today because they don't see a way out. And God, while it may not unfold like we think it will, we know that you have a plan. So God, help us to trust in you and, and believe in your promise of peace. To believe in the promise that your presence will be with us. To believe in the promise that you are good even when we struggle. Because you are good and faithful, you're the great I am. You're the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince, Emmanuel. You are the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king. You are everything that is good and holy and righteous and just in this world. So God, why would we look anywhere but you? We give you our praise, our time. May you be glorified today. In your name we pray. Amen.